And this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the Internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listeners supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Do you feel as if you don't belong? Do you know you were meant for something more? Well, you were. Knowledge of who you are and where you really are from is within your reach. Join Janet Carolessen. Dr. Sasha Lesson as they search for the answers as they open up the Stargate to the cosmos. Aloha everybody and welcome to Stargate to the Cosmos and I'm your host Janet Care Lesson with my co-host Dr. Sasha Alec Lesson and our producer Thomas Becker and today we are reunited with John Titer the second, John Pender 2. And John has been on our show many times, and I was just looking in my database. We haven't had John on since January. Oh my God, it's coming up on the year. So we're going to be reuniting with John and catching up with him and seeing what's been going on. And before we pull on 
excuse me, <clears throat> John, we're going to do a little sound check here. Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson, my beloved, are you there? Hello, Sasha. Sasha, unmute. <laughs> okay, I yeah, there? okay. There you I, go. I am on. Okay, and we're really excited to have you here. Uh, John, we've been talking to Penny Bradley, and she's been uh, telling us about how there's time police who are trying to stop the bad guys from capturing uh, the, the time frame. And you know, she just described your job and, the, and the, the, you know, what what you did. And, you know, I see you as part of the reason why China exists today. And I think it's such a great story. And I'm really eager to uh, wrap with you some more. Yeah, hi, John. We'd like you to uh, catch us up on what's been going on with your life. And I know you have a, a blog um, and you've got a lot of interesting articles like cyborgs are a threat to mankind. So we'll go over wherever you want to go. But there's some of these uh, blog entries I'd like to discuss as well. So welcome All to right. the show today, John. Welcome back. Well, great to be on with you guys. Yeah, uh, we missed you. I guess that I can tell you what I've been up to lately. Uh, I've been trying to organize some of my artifacts that I've collected. And there's some donations I'm going to be making to museums. And uh, one museum that I plan to donate to is out at Edwards Air Force Base. And I went to the museum there and... Uh, I really had a good time with the director of the museum. And then uh, I got to meet uh, this lieutenant colonel that is in charge of testing the F-35 for the Air Force. And so uh, he he told me that he, he wanted to give me a, a tour of the F-35. And so I, I got a tour, I went on tour with Lieutenant Colonel, and his handle is Matrix. I won't tell you his name, but I will tell you his, his handle is Matrix. And I got to see a couple F-35s land and take off. And this, at this particular time in the history of the United States, this is our most sophisticated warplane. It's a stealth warplane, and... Uh, it has some unique uh, options in it. And there's three different versions. Uh, there's an A, B, and C. And, and there's one for the Marines and one for the Navy, one for the Air Force. And the one for the Marines does vertical takeoff. And then the, the Air Force version does the conventional takeoff. Uh, what, what I was when talking to them and... I thought it was interesting, you know, like he said, have you seen this helmet? And so I said to him, is that the helmet that allows the pilot to look through the aircraft? And he oh. looked at me and he said, yes. And after that, he was <laughs> asking me questions and I was answering them for him. But uh, the F-35, I mean, uh, I think they're $1.5 billion of people. Oh and my there, God! Are there a single are there engine? Pictures of it on the internet. Yeah, it, go ahead. The, the single engine 
F thirty five, it's fly by wire totally. I mean, there's, you know, it's it's just he's the pilot sits there and he's got his hands, his right hand, on a little stick, and then his left hand is the throttles and uh, armaments, and it's just an amazing aircraft for this period of American history, but it's a total stealth aircraft. And the Russians and the Chinese will eventually catch up. Uh, I think the Chinese are very close to catching us. But uh, at the Edwards Air Force Museum, they they had a retired uh, uh, A-10 there. And the, well, that was the tank buster that basically shot uh, a 20-millimeter cannon, and the, the ammunition was depleted uranium <laughs> bullets. So it built the tank. And so the the F-35, what it does is contour flying. You can't see it coming. And then it basically comes up on the target and, you know, it releases whatever ordnance they want to. But uh, it's it's just amazing to watch these things take off and, and land. I literally had to put... My hands over my ears because it, the, the noise is horrific. But, uh, you know, like this uh, lieutenant colonel uh, that gave me the one on point, he basically went from flying the A 10 to the F 16, and now he's in the F 35. But they, they train mostly in simulators. But uh, I enjoy going out to Edwards Air Force Base. It's 500 acres there. And wow. it's probably one of the cleanest and nicest Air Force bases you could ever go to. I would say they do a lot for the personnel there. But their museum, if you go to the museum there, if you're lucky enough to be invited to the museum, one of the things they have is the SR-71 sitting outside and you really get a sense that you know the, it flew in 1959 for the first time and and this was something out of the skunk works and kelly johnson and ben rich put that thing together in 1959 but wow. what what is admitted now is they had extraterrestrial help and the F-35 will continue to be, I, I would say, for at least a decade, an upgradable airframe. Everything they build since the B-52, upgradable airframes. That means that you have components that slide in and out, and you get greater longevity in these airframes that way. But uh, the F-35 has these two guns on it uh, on the top of the aircraft and then it, it also under the wings can carry missiles and, and some of the biggest bomb payloads there are. So it, it's almost a bomber and fighter. But it, the helmet, they tell me, costs a few million dollars and it's a heads-up display in the, the helmet. So the pilot he, he he sees, uh, whether it's night or day, he sees everything. And he can see 
look it, just it, looking down a little bit he can see whatever's underneath the aircraft so that's done with cameras that are placed underneath this aircraft so you literally there's no blind spots and in a dogfight you're, you're uh, one up on everybody but the interesting thing is that the guns are just for short bursts that you can't just it's not a sustained burst so you really have to see the target put it in the crosshairs and push down on the button but it's an amazing airframe and and i would love to fly one but it won't happen you don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> no. yeah i'm looking at the craft and i'm going to put some pictures up on the page we're creating for today's show um, so they, it, it uh, can be used on an aircraft carrier as well, it looks like? Yes, uh, the, the Navy, uh, the Air Force, and the Marines. This is their fighter. But it also has an option to take off vertically, just as the carrier jump jets did. And uh, they test it out at Edwards Air Force Base all three ways. All three branches test that aircraft there in all three versions. It's amazing. Just amazing. So are we selling this to other people? It says that Israel is welcoming its F-35. I believe that the Israelis, if they they pay for it, they get it. Uh, yeah. And a, as you know, the Israelis remain America's uh, best allies in the, the Middle East and probably the world. Uh, you know, you just have to understand that we have had uh, a history with Israel from the very beginning when they declared themselves a state uh, after World War II. And the uh, United States was instrumental in helping them do that. Uh, so I have a couple questions about the craft. Um Okay, so you said it's very noisy, but extraterrestrial craft tends to be noiseless. So, oh, and, and absolutely this, was this designed? Quiet. Yeah. So, absolutely was this quiet. part ET technology? And if so, why didn't they make it quiet? <laughs> why, why is it so noisy? Yeah. You know, that, that's the the thing I, I was discussing with them, and they they asked me some questions about extraterrestrial craft. And they asked me mm -hmm. about the TR-3B. And I said, well, look, TR-3B has two forms of propulsion, one for inside the atmosphere and one for outside the atmosphere. I said, right. you know yourself that it can't fly at, you know, Mach 2 in the atmosphere. You tear the wings off of it. But it gets, once you're up there, in space, uh, you can go faster than the speed of light. And then they asked so about... these people that you talk to are in the regular military, but they're aware of the secret space program technologies people they, you talk to? I believe these guys have seen uh, TR-3B and TR-6 Telos, but they won't talk about that. They will not. It's just like while I was at the Edwards Air Force Base Museum. And I started to talk to them about Area 51 and the aircraft there, and they just 
They get very quiet. They won't. They won't. It, it's, Is there some know, kind of um, penalty for them if they even talk about it? Uh, they're they are told not to talk about, it. and I get away with it, and they know I get away right. with it. Uh, hey, hey, John, you know, uh, can I ask you about the craft? Uh, this leads into a whole bunch of my interests that you were flying when you got in the battle with ADAD on the way uh, to uh, Kepler-69C. Uh, yes. What were you flying yes. and what kind of armament did you have and what did he have? What was that, what was that like? Well, TR-6 Telos has plenty of... Uh, offensive weaponry uh, right down to the Tesla death ray. And in, in the book, we talk about the Tesla death ray and uh, the, 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 uh, the, the biggest of them all, the, the 1000 series. And I think that's still the gun to me because if you get hit with it, you're disintegrating. Uh, it, it's it's so powerful, and this gun, you know, like Tesla had invented it, I think in around 1947. And when he died, the first thing that happened was the FBI went over and confiscated all his work on it. And then right. it was it was built and tested again, and and they wanted some people wanted to use it uh, after that and they're afraid to but eventually we'll get to the point where we'll be using it and the armaments let's talk about that uh, shielding electronic shielding you, you put shields up a lot like when when you see the series Star Trek and they they, they say we, yeah. we put shields up you have electronic mm -hmm. shields. But shields are nothing more than an electronic barrier, a gravitational barrier, if you will. Uh, and what happened was they realized that the Earth has a gravitational barrier to keep some harmful things from hitting us. And they looked at it and said, huh, why could we do that for a spacecraft? And and they asked the question of extraterrestrials and said, yes. And so that technology is black technology and something not really invented here, but we understand it and we use it. Yes. Wow. So that's called the TR, TR6 Telos? Is that what you called it? Yes. What is that? TR6 Telos. <laughs> It has sustained, unlike the other, the uh, our uh, public craft, it has the ability to sustain, keep powering, keep powering until it destroys the target. Yes. Yes. And and wow. you can you can launch launch uh, fighters from it, and the fighters uh, are equipped with the Tesla Death Ray also, so uh, the potential for them. Uh, to be very uh, decisive in battle. Uh, okay, okay. So, so let me tie a bunch of, uh, of things together because uh, I've been following your stuff. When 
when you went to Nibiru, and everybody on, on this station really wants to know more about Nibiru, but when you went to Nibiru, you said you met uh, Adapa there. Yes. And that he was way big. And so I, I would like you to, first of all, give the, and that's the guy you wind up in this battle with later on. But what's it like to be with a person that's way big compared to you? It's a little intimidating. Uh, it's always intimidating. Uh, Nibiru, you have to understand that you're seeing lots of species that we've never really talked about before. But uh, the Anunnaki are tall, uh, eight feet, nine feet. I don't think that's a big thing for them. They vary a little bit between that number, but they're tall and muscular. And I would say that the one thing that really struck me when I was on the bureau was I saw the military there. And I saw that some of the military uh, has the heads of a bird and wings and had yeah. flight. And wow. So, how did, I, how so did do you think that's... Wait, 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 how were the wings attached? Were they part of the uh, uh, scapulae? Uh, what was it like in their musculature? I... I, I didn't look that close, but it seems to me that more attached to their spine, and wow. there are a set of wings, upper and lower, four wings, wow. okay. okay, four wings with the head of a bird, and we see this in stone all over yeah. the world, okay? Yeah. And the heads, a bird head. And I, I definitely think that they were uh, genetically engineered to be a warrior class and to be used in battle. Th then I did see some that looked more like Anubis. And I thought, wow, these guys are... Very tall, muscular, and ground troops. That's what. Ah. So, and we're seeing this in uh, Nibiru also. And we've seen this all over Egypt. And so I'm thinking the pantheon of the gods. And we know from uh, Egyptian boss reliefs that. They experimented gene splicing. That's what they were good at. Mm -hmm. But the one, the one individual that I've been very interesting uh, for some time, I didn't see anything like Thoth, and I, I, I was very keen, you know, to see With something the like the Thoth. Space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and Thoth is a prince, an Atlantean prince king. And they say that he founded uh, Egypt. And that yeah. Thoth built the Great Pyramid of Giza. Yeah. 
Yeah, I read that too in, in the Sumerian. And and what blows me away about Thoth is there's there's been a lot said about him, and some of it you have to, to sift through it to really figure out the truth of it. But they say that Thoth was a shape shifter. Mm-hmm. And he also had the persona of Hermes Tresmegistus. Mm-hmm. And that that is a Greek god. But Thoth, uh, he's credited with uh, writing and mathematics and and other things. And uh-huh. and I've done a lot of research lately into the Giza pyramid and to the Sphinx. I don't think the head on the Sphinx was recut. Uh, but what I discovered from all my research was that uh, Thoth, I believe, was the engineer of the Great Pyramid. Yeah. And it's nothing more than an astrological clock. Mm -hmm. But these guys knew about uh, pi, and they knew about the golden ratio, they figured out, because they, they have it in the pyramid, the rate of rotation of the Earth. They knew about the speed of light. What, and the, the other thing that, that just kills me about the Giza Pyramid is it's ap- absolutely at the center of the planet. And then all these other ancient sites like Easter Island and Umapunku and Tiwanaku and other things with the same architecture all line up to the Giza Pyramid. And it's, it's, it's a real interesting answer. But I firmly believe that those blocks were not moved on rollers over the desert for right. slave power. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, that's you a know, silly, all silly the, the books are wrong and levitation. So the reality is that at some point, man or the Anunnaki uh, had created civilization that is more advanced than we are now. And what happened was there was a war and Professor Robert Schock has detected uh, signs were stone reliefs melted. And there's several places. The Colossi of Memnon melted a little bit from intense heat. there's, there's so many things. Libyan glass, there was a, a detonation of a nuclear device there. And then at Mohenjo-Daro, there was a detonation there. So at some point, there was a nuclear war on this planet and knocked us back to the caveman age. Right. So you've uh, been... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Sasha. Well, okay. So, you know, in, in 
in my research about the uh, when the Anunnaki uh, used Bigfoot ancestor uh, erectus genes uh, to ad to adapt uh, their genome uh, to make mine miners for them. Uh, yes. Yes. The first baby, what, they, what Nima had written, uh, the boy uh, was brown-skinned uh, with, uh, with uh, brown-red uh, skin like the clay of Africa. And uh, he was like the Anunnaki in every way, except that he had a foreskin. But, uh, but that, that meant, if you really think it through logically, that there had to be brown-skinned people on Nibiru. Uh, and I just wondered if, did you observe uh, any brown-skinned people on Nibiru? Yes. They're, they're not all white. They are not. What are Thank you so much. Tones? Yeah, what are the skin tones of the Anunnaki that you were, you observed? Because I've heard that some that beings are blue and, and uh, you know, pink and green and orange. What did you observe personally? Uh, within the royal Anunnaki family, white. Uh, I would see other people in the the marketplace and the and in the the public areas of varying shades. Uh, I saw uh, these Anubis-looking soldiers, and they were dark. Black, just like some uh, Negro people uh, have very dark black skin. That's what they yeah. have. And so, yes, I saw that too. So there were there were shades, and I think that there were there were different uh, people. The other thing that really struck me while on Nibiru, they had slaves, and the slaves look like Mayan Indians. Wow. And and they weren't tall. And they were another class altogether. And Adama had them in his household as servants. How did he treat them? How did he treat them? They, they were treated very well. But this goes back to all these pyramids where you see there's a platform at the top and the big wide steps going up to the platform in uh, Mexico and South America. Right, right. These are loading platforms. And, and for so long, you know, like archaeologists have been saying, what happened to these populations? Well... Here's the answer. They were taken away. Now, what, one of the things that I talk about, cyborgs, you know, with very yeah. little effort, they take a human uh, and turn it into a cyborg, and you give it instructions, and it follows those instructions no matter what. It, it has, And that's you know, what we're finding in the secret space program, that there are... They have human trafficking. They take a lot of uh, human beings away. Some of them they put in the secret space program. Some are sex slaves. Some are worker slaves. Some are military slaves. And some are, are created or made into cyborgs. So you you have witnessed this personally? Or is this yes. just information that you 
I, I so know what the saw. military right now is experimenting with cyborg. And as time goes on, they will create super soldiers in the laboratory and they will be cyborgs. In other words, you give them the training and the instructions and they just do what they're told. There's no. So what does that mean to be a cyborg? Are they they have some mechanisms attached to them? Uh, what percentage is left as human? The, what percentage is robotics? The the brain it, it has implantations. Uh, you don't see uh, too much done internally besides the mental implants. Uh, there's some implants. Uh, that they put for identification uh, in their forearms. I've had that. Uh, but the main thing is we will see exoskeletons that basically it's a cyborg. It's got an exoskeleton that basically is a combination of Kevlar and other materials that makes it impervious to uh bullets and things like this, uh, bombs going off nearby, it can still complete the mission. In other words, it's armored. Mm -hmm. And and they're, it, we're right on the cusp of it now. The military wants this uh, for its soldiers now in Afghanistan and Iraq. They're, they're just all over it. Body armor. Wow. Uh, hey, John. So, you, have I you seen what? these people? Let me just ask: Have you seen these people in person, yourself? Have you seen these cyborgs? I've seen experimentation. Yes, and I've seen in the future we're going to have it. We'll just do it. The pro problem is for the military is this. Go ahead. That mm -hmm. 70 to 80% of the people graduating what are high school in the United States are unfit for military service. That's the issue. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what makes them unfit? Uh, they have habits, uh, tattoos, piercings, you name it. Uh, they they, they uh, barely got by in high school. They're looking for intellect and strength and stamina. That's what they need uh, in the cockpit and on the battlefield. They don't need then, something... Uh, the first time yeah. an order is issued to them, they can't say, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. And they have to obey. And then uh, just to, before we get too far down the line, what were you what were you donating to the museum? We forgot to finish that thread. <laughs> oh, I'm going to donate uh, a flight suit that I wore in a TR-3B and a flight suit that I wore... Uh, when I was commander on a TR-6 Telos. Have my name on it. 
Uh, are, uh, wow. are you command? Are you uh, are uh, as your rank now? Uh, when you would say rank retired, are you a, a general or a colonel or what are you in Air Force terms? Uh, I get uh, my retirement pay is general. Uh, okay, so that's. General. Oh, I like that. Uh, Do you have a picture it, so of I, yourself and your okay. suit you're donating? Let me just ask this real quick. Uh, are, are, do you have a picture of yourself in the suit you're donating? Are you allowed to take one? Or? Uh, I I have them. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, if I distribute that, I will be in, in the good graces of my handler. <laughs> yeah. He'll say, you issued photographs without my permission again. You know, I frequently you get in trouble. I think that uh, I just had a handler change, too. I had one guy, and he says, you keep getting me in trouble. I said, I don't know what you're going to do about it. Uh, and then, you know, like, sometimes these guys accompany me when I go to Edwards or I go to Area 51. And, you know, the, the entire time they're saying, yeah, you know, say anything, you know, uh, about this. Don't say anything about that. So it... I usually try to comply, but sometimes they ask the question, "Is are we going the right direction? Is this what you had in the year 2035, you know? You know uh -huh. What kind of opposition were we expecting in space in the year 2035, 2036? That, that's what they always, they always want to know that one. They want to know. What's the answer? And I, and I tell them, I do tell them that one. So they know, but the 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 answer is, and, and you know, like when you go back to uh, the first fifty caliber machine gun that we had uh, within the U.S. military, and you know they still use it, and there there are smaller versions, I think thirty caliber versions, but. So you have to look at the first death ray invented by Tesla as having a lifespan that will go on for quite a while. And and that is in its in its biggest the te the the TP one thousand uh it's just devastating on a direct hit it disintegrates whatever's you know, it's hit. And that's and a death ray, Tesla's death ray. Yeah. It's yeah. called the cheapy 1000. Yeah. And what's, and what, how does that work? Do you know how it works? What's the theory behind it? You know, I'm going to tell you what Lieutenant Colonel uh, Matrix told me about the F-35. He says, I just fly it. I don't know how it works. You know, right. and and I I got to look at all of the inner workings of the F thirty five, and and it is a true fly by wire. I mean, and I asked them about redundant systems and things like that, and it, and it turns out there are redundant systems, but he doesn't know how it works. There's a guy on the ground that maintains it that knows how it works. So I would have to refer you to somebody. That maintains a TP one thousand. Yeah, but you know, like uh, the TP one thousand is something that the Russians don't have, 
the Chinese don't have, the North Koreans don't have, and I hope to God they never get it. It would tempt the so balance how do we, of power. How do we keep them? How do we keep them from getting this stuff? You said that in the past shows that we are still the most advanced. Uh, we are. We've been doing shows going back to like how this came. Apparently, the Nazis and the. Uh, uh, aliens were interacting with the Nazis, so this goes back a long time where humanity is given technology. Where are we getting our technology? Are we reverse engineering it? And which species are helping us do those type of things? Well, basically, uh, I've talked to people that work for Ben Rich at Lockheed, and uh, one of them used to read his correspondence. And she told me that she used to get correspondence almost every day about extraterrestrials and extraterrestrial spacecraft. And it was no big thing with Ben Rich. Uh, but, but he kept it secret until he died. And we reverse engineered their spacecraft. Uh, but one of the things that happened in the early 50s is we see, I was signed agreement with the tall whites and these are the i would say they're on the kardashev scale are you familiar with that yes uh -huh. uh, at least a six or a seven and you know on the kardashev scale we're a level zero Great. and uh it's not encouraging from that perspective but what happens is that they trade black technology for different things. Uh, I wrote an article not too long ago, and it's titled The Reason for Mankind's Existence. And if you read that, you'll come up to why we exist and in light of the fact that there are extraterrestrials that are far more advanced than we are and that could probably snuff out mankind in a heartbeat. But we know that they do cattle mutilations and we know they do abductions and experimentation on us. And the one factor in all of this uh, became self-evident with two astronauts that were identical twins, Mark and Scott Kelly. And one stayed on the ISS for about a year. And when he came back, they compared his DNA to his brother, his twin. And his DNA had changed. Prolonged spaceflight will modify your DNA. And so, how did it, it change? Uh, in all the bad ways, uh, oh, reproduction bad. and other things. So, when they abduct female uh, Homo sapiens and they remove eggs, you're you're getting a glimpse of what their problem is: reproduction of their species, and. The other thing is that I think they've looked at 
uh, a suspended animation and, and things like that. And they haven't been able to make it work. They have not been able to prevent a decline of DNA on prolonged space flights. That's the issue. Yeah, you can get there and you will not have aged, but your DNA seems to degrade. And that's the problem for these species that have roamed this galaxy and probably others. Their DNA degraded. And very likely when their species propagated, they were less than what they were. They retained the knowledge that they had accumulated, but they were less than what they were. Uh, and I think very likely an example of this is the gray aliens. Do you still have contact with your gray alien friend? What was his name again? Rock or something like that? Yeah, Rock. Uh, we get together. Uh, usually around Super Bowl, one or two days before, one or two days after, he swings by. It's that simple. You know, like I told people uh, some time ago, you know, like they have the ability to beam up and beam down. And, and there are photographs of gray aliens beaming up and beaming down. We have that technology, too, now. We've gotten that. Mm -hmm. And we also have uh, technology as far as invisibility. The first time it was photographed was in the, the desert storm, the first desert storm in Iraq. And there was a Marine wearing a suit that rendered him pretty much invisible, except in a dust storm. And he's seen going over to a tank and someone waiting there for him and him getting inside the tank. And uh, I think I saw that, yes. A photographer, uh, photographer uh, embedded with the forces took that video clip. And so that was the first time we knew we had the ability uh, on record. But uh, the it's proliferating. Uh, I just saw something the other day where someone just basically unfolded something and put it up in front of them, and they were invisible. That easy. So we have there's some technology that we have that is just incredible. The one thing about the tall whites, and I I want to impress this on on the audience is that. Uh, they had, in 1952, an agreement, and uh, they got a spaceport that was built at Indian Springs, which is now called Creech Air Force Base. And if you look on Google and Charles White and Creech Air Force Base, you can see the history of what's gone on there. And there are photographs of Paul White spacecraft. And... Uh, it all comes down to, uh, they have that spaceport. I believe they have others. There's no doubt in my mind that they are superior to the Anunnaki. And the Anunnaki know it. I don't think, the, the one thing that historically about the Anunnaki, I believe they roamed uh, this galaxy and probably others. They were a warrior race. They went around 
looking for what they're most interested, which is precious metals and uh, other things of value and gold in particular. And at some point, I think they brushed up against the tall whites. And I think the tall whites, basically, uh, and the Anunnaki uh, went at it. And it was very one-sided. I believe that the Anunnaki had uh, a civilization uh, on Mars. And there's no doubt in my mind that when they kick butt on Earth, they kick butt on Mars. They basically leveled... Where do you think the tall whites... Where did the tall whites originate from? What planet? Are they from Earth or another planet? They're, they're not from Earth. And I don't think they're from this galaxy. I, I believe they may be from uh, another galaxy, possibly Andromeda. That's the closest galaxy to us. Uh, that That is more than likely. I know that uh, a lot of what the Air Force is working on is trying to traverse from this galaxy to another galaxy. The other nearest galaxy is Andromeda. They, they do, did those simul simulations and they, they do them very successfully. They know what it takes now. Uh, it's not... So how is it uh, in your... In your explanation, so you were given some background when you were in this uh, um, program about the civilizations in existence. Is that how you have a lot of this information? Uh, how did you come to have this awareness besides running into them? Did they give you orientation on the species that exist and where they came from? In talking to them, uh, I would say you don't really talk as telepathy. And right, yeah. you, you do sit down in a room with them, and uh, they actually gave me some missions, some things they wanted me to do, and I was the team lead, and there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to do what they told me to do. But mm -hmm. I did ask some questions, and, and, and they said, you know, like, uh, no, we're not the Anunnaki. And, and we're, we're not related to them. We, we are superior to them on, on the Kardashev scale. And mm -hmm. they went as far to say is that they had been in conflict, a conflict with the Anunnaki at, at some point. And, and I went on to extrapolate and I said, on Earth and Mars? And they said, yes. And I said, and are, are you in a protectorate mode here? Are you just protecting the planet? And, and they said, yes. The Earth is a protectorate of the tall whites. And almost everybody knows it now. I mean, Edward Snowden, the documents that he took out of the NSA, mm -hmm. one of the documents was the signed document with the tall whites. And then when Obama was president, Vladimir Putin wanted Obama to go public. And then Hassan Rouhani, uh, the Iranian prime minister, wanted him to go public because ultimately 
military decisions do not rest with the President of the United States. There are some things that he has the power to do, and there are some things that he has to check in about. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. He's you not know, really Donald the Trump one that makes and, the final decision. Yeah. And, and uh, at some point, you know, like, uh, we have a, a leader of North Korea, and he thinks that he's going to be able to take on the world when, in fact, if he absolutely launched something that was going to hit the United States, uh, the tall whites very likely would take him out very swiftly. And the United States remain, remains able to protect its sovereignty among other nations of the world. But So why do they like us so much, the tall whites, if we're not them and we're not related in any type of... It, go, it goes you know, back to what I talked about, DNA. Mm-hmm. And then monitoring the food chain. I think that to, to some degree that they expect mankind to evolve. Absolutely. To get better. Uh, but I think it, we're in for trying times. One of the biggest things... Are they... The, yeah. The, the biggest threat to mankind right now, right now mm-hmm. is... The environment. And we have more plastic in the ocean than fish. And that the right, air so that we breathe that. is really not fit to breathe. Uh, we, we've done so much mismanagement as far as natural resources. It's pathetic. You know, like uh, on the western United States, the fires in California, they can't put them out. They, put they, them they out. did do forest management and so now when a forest fire starts they really wait for them to burn out in the process Mm -hmm. uh people lose their lives and their houses and uh it's ridiculous so what's going on with the tall whites that they don't intervene and i mean they they live here too right they have a colony here and they have they, a, they don't they have I, their own you know, children here. They don't Isn't it their air too. Yeah. And I would say that they're able to breathe it and it has no effect on them so whatever. But I don't know that much about their physiology. The fact that they're tall humanoids uh and their skin is uh pale uh blonde or reddish hair. Uh, they look sickly, but they're not. They're healthy. Mm-hmm. And have you ever talked to Charles? Uh, what's his name? Charles Hall about oh, the tall whites? Because oh. he, I've I've talked to, I think, Charles Hall once mm-hmm. years ago, and and that was it. And I wanted him to become part of. Uh, a foundation that I sponsored and his wife basically uh, approached me and said uh, he, that he, did, he didn't want to do it. So I said, fine. 
you know, yeah. she's uh, a big time controller. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, we met them last year. She's they're very nice, but she's definitely the boss. <laughs> so, so she's okay, in we're control. coming up with the break. Yeah. Okay, here's the break. We'll be back in five minutes, and then we're going to go into some of the things that are coming up down the line. We'll be back in five. Thank you. reported today that their population is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge. Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A for the latest breaking news on the Star Visitor's peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. Why am I here? You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision, which has led you inexorably here. You haven't answered my question. The Matrix is older than you know, as you are undoubtedly gathering the anomaly is systemic, creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equation. Choice. Problem is choice. Right here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Be here Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Private Eye Matrix Revealed with Monique Lassonde. Hello, my name is Mr. Rowe. I am the host of Reality Extraction on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. I utilize logic, intellect, and magic to methodically autonomize, vivisect, analyze, examine, study, scrutinize, and extract an essence of reality from a fog of illusion and confusion. You can find me on Studio B every Thursday at 1700 hours Pacific Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic taboo, no subject too strange. I strive to take a neutral standpoint during the dissection of the topic at hand. That's Reality Extraction with Mr. Rowe on Revolution Radio.
This is Thomas, a.k.a. a mad painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs to government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Back, back, back. Schedule B on Revolution Radio every Saturday night, 6 to 8 p.m. You get outer space. You get honest answers, real researchers, truthful answers, and a place to engage with questions. Take part in the discussion. Revolution Radio on freedomslips.com host Collision Course every Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Aloha and welcome back to Stargates the Cosmos. And I'm your host, Janet Care Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson, and our producer, Thomas Becker. And uh, you can find us on revolution.radio. And our guest is John Titer II. But we're going to take a little moment here to ask everybody to please go over to that donation button on revolution.radio. And make your donation today. We're coming up at the end to the end of 2018, and the year is gone. So we want you to please donate so we can keep bringing you shows all through 2019 and 
through to the end of time. <laughs> so, uh, Thomas, what's our fundraising totals thus far? Oh, we just started a new um, month. Yeah, did we make our quota last month? Oh, yes, ma'am. We we did, and we have $173 so far, and we need $28.50. $28.50 for the month of December. All righty. So have us, uh, let us have a very happy Christmas and New Year's. Please go over and donate. Sasha, before we bring back John, what would you like to say about what we've been okay, covering thus so far? Okay, what I really have uh, been wanting uh, very, very much to understand in, uh, is this thing about uh, people like you, uh, uh, General Titer, who have intervened uh, in the in the time flow uh, to uh, save aspects of humanity, and uh, and the th that whole idea that there's a course of good guys who determined your mission, John Commander. Uh, where where do you, did you contribute to deciding on? At some point. Uh, my missions were dictated to me right out of the Joint Chiefs in Washington, D.C. Uh, they would basically say, uh, we're, you're going to have a meeting tomorrow at Area 51 or Creech Air Force Base, or you're coming to Washington, D.C. And it just depended on their availability and uh, my availability and we would decide, and if I traveled, uh, I had bodyguards, uh, especially in Washington, D.C., uh, they, they stressed that I was to have bodyguards, at least two, and normally on uh, an Air Force base or installation, at least one. Uh, driver bodyguard, it came down to that. Uh, they would give me the mission, and it wasn't mine to uh, approve it or, you know, uh, even ask questions more than the logistics. Uh, they just said, this is what we want done, do it. And that's what happened. Uh, I would do it. Uh, there were some times that I, I wanted to uh, do uh, particular things uh, that would help the timeline, I thought, and uh, I was turned down. Uh, I, I thought there was a way to prevent 9-11 totally, and uh, they looked at it, and then I was turned down, and there were some other wow. things. Historically, uh, we looked at it, and then I was turned down, and they looked at the eventualities. Uh, and 9-11, uh, I thought that certainly if, if we just apprehended these people uh, that were trying to take uh, flying lessons uh, on uh, passenger aircraft and not interested in landing but just taking off or flying, you know, uh, that was that was all part of it, and uh, the I got a resounding. So, so you're uh, saying they looked at the so they went they somehow had a way to go into the future and see if we had this timeline where it would go where it would end up on you know is that what you're saying? I believe 
they looked at it from that perspective. And some of it came down to uh, a political, economic decision. And by that I mean, uh, if this doesn't happen, it, that's all well and good. We save lives, but then these things happen. And the other things that could happen might be far worse. So it's <laughs> one of the things they wanted the United States to go to Iraq for some reason. You know, it's got to be that because since that was what the consequences uh, were. Uh, what was that? What was that all about, John? Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Afghanistan, uh, it is not a myth. It's not uh, fiction. They actually found the mama there. And I don't know that they were able to retrieve it. I, I've heard about it several times from reliable sources. And uh, there was a problem moving it. But it was uh, something worth going after. Uh, going after ISIS in Iraq, uh, Maybe it had to happen. I, I believe that ISIS was nothing more than a, a vacuum that, that filled with uh, Baghdadi was the guy's name. And yeah. he, he filled the vacuum. He was released from prison and he created ISIS. But it was all part of us going there and making war on the civilian population. I'm I, I'm, I'm, and to some degree, my personal beliefs are that war always has to be the last solution. But sometimes it's unavoidable, and I don't like it. But it's, it's just there. We have, uh, at various times in our history, we've had leaders that. <clears throat> Uh, didn't want to go to war, but took us to war. Uh, in 1917, Woodrow Wilson took us to war in Europe, the war to end all wars. Uh, in World War II, uh, 1942, uh, Theodore Roosevelt declared war on the Japanese and Germany at the same time. Uh, we would have to say uh, Wilson was more of a pacifist than Roosevelt. But Roosevelt wanted to see America move to action. And there was so much uh, of a movement in America uh, headed by powerful and rich people not to go to war. And had we delayed, uh, the UK would have fallen and uh, we would probably have been next. So it had to happen. Wow, that's a powerful analysis. Oh, thank you so much. That's really a powerful analysis. You know, uh, North and South Korea, uh, I believe that Kim Jong-un, who I have advocated for a long time that someone should assassinate, I think that he's seen the handwriting on the wall. 
And have you noticed that since he, he met with Trump, there have been no missile launches over Japan? Right. What do you think right. happened? Was there a threat made or? I, I here's what if I was a fly something? on the wall. Here's what I think. Mm -hmm. And and the Donald just told me. He said, if you ever North Korea could be vaporized in a heartbeat, and no matter yeah. what fighting, you'll be vaporized too. So. I believe that Kim Jong-un, you know, like, he, he is the people that have vowed to kill him in South Korea and Japan, other places. They just want to get a shot at him. Uh, you know, the whole thing is, uh, if, if he moves to unification of North and South Korea and bows out of, of control of the North, uh, He'll save his own life, ultimately. But we'll that, to... that would be really fitting to go full scale from you know this what you told us about what happened. There wouldn't be a China uh, to uh, help make the peace there if it wasn't for you. And I, at the beginning of the show, I I just alluded to that incredible that wonderful story about how time travel works, so people can understand it. And what you're, uh, and I got it that you were just sent on your mission. And uh, could you tell us the story for our listeners? Uh, I think that at the peak of my career, and I was considerably younger, uh, I was relieved of command and sent off to language school. And there, there are a couple dialects of the Chinese speak and they told me uh, to to learn both and the the other one the the higher level uh, I learned it and got through it and could speak it and writing Chinese is a whole nother thing they didn't even want me to be able to write they just said you need to be able to speak it everyday conversant and so I, I could get to that point. And as soon as they did, they pulled me out of the language school in Monterey, California, which is still there. And uh, they pulled me back to, uh, what was it, Area 51, and they, they gave me the mission. And they said, this is the mission. And I went back to 230 B.C. in China to see the Emperor King, and what was known by extraterrestrial allies was that the Anunnaki were going to go back in time and attempt to get a foothold on Earth in China at that time frame and lay claim and get access to huge amounts of gold, a treasury that overflowed with it, with Emperor King. And he was about 22, 23 years old at this time. And I was sent there, and I had shadowing me uh, two divisions of uh, 
One division being gray aliens and their spacecraft, and another division almost up to uh, what would be a thousand uh, soldiers uh, in stationary or orbit over the Earth, ready to beam down on my command. And I was to go to the court of the emperor and basically uh, win him over. And I was doing it uh, preemptively before the Anunnaki had arrived, but they did in fact arrive while I was there. And they came in on uh, these devices that are like hover boards, but they are a little bit higher off the ground and they fly on them. And when they fly into the court, they're frightening and they're big and they're menacing. And basically, I went there as a trader that offered them uh, repeating crossbows. Very interesting piece of technology, a repeating crossbow. If you the crossbow bolt travels almost at the speed of a bullet. And then uh, the tips on the bolts, steel or chrome combination, deadly. And then I was offering them the ability to chrome plate spearheads and swords. And historically, uh, in China, these weapons have been unearthed. And the chrome swords, if you run your finger over them, will still cut you. They made the swords very sharp. And uh, when I was in the court, I was not, while I tried to portray the part of being just a, a white trader uh, of European descent and my mustache and hair being much longer than it is today, but about the same mustache, I would say. And uh, during that time, I was challenged to a duel. And I had uh, four people with me, and I was challenged uh, to a duel by this general who was uh, the, the new general of this emperor's armies. And it was not a duel I could back out of, but I did have a sword, and uh, it was a good one. And I was given the opportunity to defend myself. And I wasn't sure that I was going to make it through the fight. And I was lucky enough to uh, get a couple of good strikes in. And ultimately, uh, I cut off his arm in the fight. He, he landed a couple things on me, but they weren't significant. I wasn't bleeding badly. And then uh, he went down on one knee and I cut his head off, and that was the end of it. And then and then, uh, the emperor was just amazed that I could do it, and I do practice with wooden swords still and still have a favorite sword. Among all the weapons that I've collected, I have a favorite sword. And yes, this thing, you know, if you touch it with your finger, <laughs> it'll cut you. And... Uh, you know, like, but I, I never want to bring a sword to a gunfight, you know? And I have right. such a, 
an array of armaments. We could talk about my my collection of uh, armaments for for hours, probably. But I will tell you. So wait. So these guys are coming down, uh, and you've offered uh, in time. You've offered these guys repeating firing from a crossbow, an innovation in weaponry for these for the Hans. Yeah. And, and what, happens what happened was, well, after the day after the fight, the emperor summons me and I said, oh, God, I'm really in trouble now. You know, was it going to be water torture? What is it? You know, I went and, and all of my team says, don't screw this up. <laughs> It'll be our heads. And, and, and I was worried. And he said to me that I was now the general of his army. Whoa. And so I said, oh, okay. And, and, and so I said, but I'm, I'm really not sure I'm the man for the job. And he says, uh, there's no refusal on this. <laughs> I, I, and, and so what I learned very quickly at the emperor's court, if you refuse a request, they had a, a, a very quick solution. They took you out to the courtyard and cut your head off. So, I mean... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you know, and after you see a few, you know, merciful beheadings, you. <laughs> you, you, whatever they want, you'll do it. So I would, went about with their craftsmen, we, we duplicated my designs and my, my uh, model of a repeating crossbow. And then we went, got with their metallurgist and I, Showed them how to chrome a sword and, and make um, crossbow bolts with the tips being made out of steel and chrome. And this was a tremendous upgrade for their army. And I had them working on that night and day in two shifts, 12-hour uh, shifts. They just, you know, I, I told the emperor we have to be ready. And he... And he said, ready for what? And I says, it's coming. And he, and he said, all right. And, and I'm the, I was the general of the army. And what was very interesting was that my, my next in command was this Chinese soldier. And he went everywhere with me, listened to every word I said. And even when I was meeting a, a personal female friend in her apartments at the palace, he stand outside till I came out. I was, I was never out of his sight. And then uh, the Anunnaki, they came and they made their demands on him. And he was scared witless to see the Anunnaki. And they said that they will devastate everyone in the city and start with him. And Gave him 24 hours to capitulate. And we had a plan in place to, once the Anunnaki landed and started to march on the palace, that was when we were going to take him down. And, and the whole thing was I, I tried to lead from the front of the army, and I told the foot soldiers, I said, here's the thing. This is not a one-on-one -on -one battle. You have to get a leg wound on an Anunnaki and then get them down. 
And then the other thing that I, I wasn't really counting on is we talked about this, the Anunnaki that have the wings and the bird's head. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, a, a good third of those forces, that's exactly what they unleashed on them. And so repeating crossbows. And I told them, the head, get the head. And that's what they did. And I said, <laughs> once they're on the ground, you cut the head off. You know? And I said, gang up on them. And so the, the, the total command of my army, 10 and 20,000 foot soldiers. And they, they were, if you gave them an order, they knew they had to follow it. You know? There's, there's no, but I don't want to. No. <laughs> they follow orders. Or they're taken aside and they cut their head off. <laughs> wow. Uh, now, you were learning Chinese, so you were learning our Chinese. How did that translate to this ancient Chinese? Were you caught, like, that you didn't know their Chinese? Or how, well, did you have to improvise? What did you do? The, the whole thing was... Uh, they spoke more like Cantonese, and it's either Mandarin or Cantonese, and uh -huh. I being a, a European, that's what I said I was, they, they, they said sometimes that they had a hard time following, but I would catch on eventually, or they would catch on, or, or they would ask for a clarification, you know, but we, we got through it, but it, it's, I would say... Mandarin is the high language and Cantonese is the low language. They seem to speak more Cantonese, but I don't know why. But so, the, once the battle, once the, uh, in the battle, what happened? In the battle? What you yeah, I, were there prisoners? Were, was there surrender? What happened? Uh, I think that the gray aliens took everybody out uh, in the air that they could, and that was considerable. They, they had the weapons, and they were basically cloaked and waiting for them. And they wow. And then uh, I had roughly a 1,000 uh, people with modern weapons and what amounted to... Uh, TP-100 rifles, uh, which is a, a big, like a plasma rifle, and uh, they hit the ground. And uh, what I tried to do afterwards on cleanup was I destroyed all the weapons that the Anunnaki had, and then I didn't leave, try to leave anything behind of what we used because I didn't want to give this emperor a power to just take over the world. I'd already upgraded his army with with what was serious technology for the day. Chrome swords, oh man, and a repeating crossbow. I mean, it was awesome for them. But uh, we, we carefully destroyed everything. And uh, at the end... Um, <laughs> At one point during the, the battle, I get picked up by one of these winged guys. They single me out. They get a hold of my arm. They tear my arm out of the socket. 
and throw me. And uh, my right eye is uh, damaged and uh, I have some abdominal uh, injuries. And I'm knocked unconscious for a few minutes. And I get up and I stand there and uh, soldiers run over to me. And I, I try to go back to the front of the fight. What is the fighting? And reign at the front for as long as I can. But the battle, the entire battle, I would say half a day. And it was, uh, I think, the, the, the culmination of everything I was ever trained for at that one moment. But I believe that if the Anunnaki could have gotten a foothold, then they would have done things differently. And they would have gotten their hands on a, a, a gold treasury, uh, a huge amount of gold, gold ingots. I saw it. Uh, I, I <laughs> so, 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 so somebody had, somebody could see the, uh, this coming down because they had time travel uh, uh, ability. And so you're part of somehow a time police that are stopping really terrible things from happening. But, and somebody's direct was directing you and your your uh, those that worked with you uh, in this work, and so I just trying to get it um, how this how this all came about that you were placed there at the right time. Somebody knew what was coming down, and and you changed everything. Right. If I understand right. it, I, I think that it was probably spies within uh, Adama's family uh, on Nibiru. And uh, with a little politics there, and they pass the information along to the gray aliens, and the gray aliens passed it along to us, and said, "This is going to go down, and we need to prepare." And wow, so, that's it. Thank you. Wow. So you have to understand, you know, like there was there's a little politics back on the beer. Adama was indisputably uh, in control, and after uh, that, uh, I would say that that defeat hurt his prestige, and later uh, I would uh, meet him in a conflict, and he would die. So, uh, so, so you said it was his kid, his kid. No, that Adama's kid was was the leader of those forces. That, yes, that somehow. Yes. So, so they, then you've got to face this guy, and you're the one that killed his kid. And, yeah, uh, killed his no son. He's... Wow. He put a bounty on me. He, wa he wanted me. Mm -hmm. you know, there's been a couple of attempts on my life, I have to tell you. You know, like, uh, here, last September, there was an attempt on my life. And it changed me. Uh, I, I, I'm so much more careful now. Uh, I always carry uh, offensive weaponry on me now. Uh, last September, you know, I had my face crushed and all my ribs crushed. And uh, I was left for dead. 
And I, I presumed that I was with friends and I had nothing to worry about. And that turned out not to be the case. And uh, ultimately, uh, Marcia ended up driving me to the hospital and I was a bloody mess. And had all these stitches over my right eye. And uh, I would have to say that them just lifting me to uh, do an MRI, a CAT scan on my body, I screamed at the top of my lungs. It hurt so bad. And they kept me on oxycodone and uh, uh, some other drugs, too. And it, it was a long time before I could just, in bed, uh, roll on my side. And then uh, my face was crushed right here on the right cheekbone because most of all of that was in my mouth. And what I did was I took my thumb and pushed it on my teeth like that and pushed my teeth and my jaw back into place. But my, my face always hurts right here. There's a nerve that won't heal. And, you know, like, it's, it's uh, devastating that that would happen to me. And yeah, and you're not... You're not young, even though you're clone, you're still not young. And that's harder to heal when you're older. Do clones, let me finish my question. Nope. Do clones wait, 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 heal faster? Sasha, let me do my question. Do clones <laughs> heal faster than regular people? Yes. And then you can uh, ask a question. And I, I would say that anyone else would have been dead. And I just woke up and I don't know why uh, I sat up and I checked my extremities, my legs, my arms. I knew that my, my ribs were broken and I was spitting blood out of my mouth. And that's when I just pushed my jaw back into place. And that's where it's been ever since the, the, the doctors, when they worked me over, they said, you know, like, you're, you're very lucky to be alive. And uh, I was absolutely left for dead. But, you know, at the compound here, the, the only thing that, that happens around here, it's, it's kind of strange, you know, because I live a little bit in the country. And uh, we have motion lights everywhere. We have cameras everywhere inside the house and Outside the house, I have uh, an ADT alarm system, and I carry this thing here. I'll hold it up for you. Uh, this little thing here has one little button on it. If I push that button, the guards come with the guns drawn. And uh, it's, it's that bad. I just I sleep pretty good, but this never leaves me. The, the little ADT package, I mean, I push the red button and they come. And there was one time uh, the gardener came and hit a window with the rake. And, and we weren't here. And the, they, they, ADT calls me and said, who do we send? I said, send the sheriff. 
So the sheriff w was greeted by guards, and then the gardener was basically <laughs> scared out of his wits. And, yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, but he's been told not to hit the window on the house, the rake. And, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like, that's, that's all part of my security system here. I want Marsha to be secure, and, and I'm secure. And, and I don't even really drive myself anywhere anymore. Marsha and I are driven most of the time by a bodyguard. I, I just can't take chances. Great. Uh, Sasha, did you have a question? Then I have another question when you're yeah, done. Go yeah, ahead, Sasha. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, okay, General, look, if you had... Uh, had your personal firearm of your choice on you when you were uh, attacked, could you have uh, saved yourself this injury? Would it? Could it have, Could you have? Would it work for you if you had a firearm on you? No, because I was hit from behind on the head and knocked unconscious, and then they proceeded to. Uh, break my ribs, and attempt to crush my face. And what right, I believe happened was someone walked up on them, and they ran away. They stopped. And and something, I will wow. tell you, this is very interesting. And, and there's been a few times when I've been knocked unconscious. I know when it happens... And I said, I, after a few minutes, I just say, oh, I've been knocked unconscious. And I just wake up. It's just like that. I just come to. And I go through the motions of seeing what the damage is and, and taking appropriate action, which is usually seeking medical help right away. <laughs> Did, did you wow. see the two people that the, the the two people that or whoever it was that came that chased the people that were killing you away? Uh, I, I've talked to them and and uh, I I know who and and I, I've already got that investigated fully. I know wow. who did it and all the circumstances. Wow! And and, and I've had. One of my doctors say, well, if somebody did that to me, you know, I'd kill him. I'd say, well, <laughs> easy for you to say. Because, right. you know, it's it it might might not play too well in, in a court of law. <laughs> Doesn't mean that I've I've forgotten anything or I've forgiven anything, but there's a time for everything. I, I have a question. Um, so President George H.W. Bush died recently, and you have on your site a blog that Bush, when asked about extraterrestrials, said Americans can't handle the truth. I believe that Americans and the rest of the world can handle the truth. Now, so he he knew what it. All the presidents did they all know? It seems like. Uh, this is coming out that these presidents they do know about the extraterrestrial presence. What does 
What does Trump know about the secret space program? What does he know What did Bush knows? Did they all know? Everybody uh, from Eisenhower on knew. And Eisenhower saw uh, demonstrations of what extraterrestrial spacecraft could do flying in and out of the ocean. Uh, he'd met with them. And he's a signer to the first agreement with the Paul Whites. And I believe that there have been subsequent agreements with the Tall Whites, and that we have uh, agreements with three other species. And all this has been uh, related by Edward Snowden to Vladimir Putin and uh, Hassan Rouhani and to the uh, Premier of China. Uh, they all know. And I believe that who are the other point, species? What's that? Who, who are the other species that we uh, are contracted to? Uh, the greys, the reptilians, uh, the Anunnaki. We have an agreement with them, but it's nothing like the tall whites because virtually the agreement with the tall whites makes. Uh, the United States and our NATO allies, our CETO allies, uh, nothing less than protectorates. It's just the way it is. Do you know? Uh -oh. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Do you know? I got a question. Wait. Go ahead. Your question. And I get one. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, I, I, so my listeners keep asking me about the uh, talk you had uh, with uh, Yahweh on Kepler 69, and it just uplifted them, absolutely uplifted them about the communications that you got and what it was like to be in the presence. And, uh, and, and it's like somehow that talk that you had I, could you share that with our listeners, how it came about and what it was like? Uh, he lives in, in on a country estate that is not his per se, but given to him uh, by the people of that planet. And his wife, Lilith, and him, they're eight feet, eight and a half feet tall, probably. Uh, I asked about his longevity, and he said that uh, they were more than capable of perpetuating life uh, uh, almost indefinitely. But they also had the ability to replace vital organs, either with organ transplants or uh with uh, devices that were manufactured. And uh, he, he said that uh, he was always more worried, not about a physical breakdown, but uh, mental capacity and he, he diminished mental capacity. Uh, 
And I guess that that is a worrisome thing. But uh, what they don't have is uh, a backup of their, their brain functions. So if the brain goes, then they have other choices to make. But a very, very old, uh, and I would not say that he was a, a function a functioning part of the government, but advisor, counselor to what would be the uh, Planets Council. Uh, a, a very different. Uh, I asked uh, about cloning, and Rock was there with me, and I said, you know, like uh, about my genes, you know, like uh, where did my genes come from? And he knew, and he said, you have some special genes, and I said, how special? And Rock chimed in. You have some of his. And uh, I was very taken aback by that. It took me a long time to digest that. I said, what does that mean? And, and he asked me if I was long-lived uh, for a human. And I said, for a human clone, I'm very long-lived. I said, most of the ones that I was cloned with, they're all past now. They were deemed to be expendable and most of most are gone and he said well there's a distinct possibility that you will go on for quite some time and we talked about uh mankind's destiny and what he thought it was and he said that you that mankind right now is dealing with the tall whites and on the kardashev scale they are past what his civilization is. They are past that. So, and I, I said, would you well, now or in the future consider uh, any kind of military action? I guess he says, no, it would be devastating to them and us. I, he says, that's the last resort. And, and on this planet, they had an army. But all defensive. It wasn't, and and they, you know, basically treated Nibiru as another civilization they were not a part of. They didn't want to be aligned with what was going on in Nibiru. But uh, they had uh, a monetary system uh, that was very unique, I thought, and. Uh, it, it basically every transaction, a piece of the transaction, some percentage went to the government. So there was no yearly taxes that everybody had to worry about because taxes were just paid. Now, I mean, you, you transferred money to someone, part of that transaction went to the government. That was it. That's how they, they did everything. And did they have um, elections and presidents, or is it like all... They had a ruling uh, council. Signed. Just one ruling council, and no countries. The entire planet was on one council. And uh, they had uh, laws similar 
to our laws, I mean, you know, regarding uh, personal uh, liberties and things, you know, like uh, the slavery was not allowed. I mean, uh, violence was abhorred in all all cases, I mean, there were some things that, you know, were punishable by death. They told me that. Uh, but they thought that crime was preventable and it was treated like a disease. And they said that they felt like this is someone that needs to be uh, in hospital and undergoing therapy. Mm-hmm. They they treated it as a, a mental disorder, and they they. So want- how did someone be? Yeah, a mental disorder, and that makes sense. How did they get? To, how did somebody get to be part of their council? Was that a birthright, or was there a popularity? Uh, did they popularity. rotate? Uh, I think that you you were asked to to run, basically. They didn't really have political parties. They had, they had some infrastructure, and they, they you know, it's like some people were in political uh, positions, and then after a while, they didn't want to be in the political position. But they treated graft and corruption within the government very harshly. That that was not allowed at all. I mean, that that's not what they were going to let. Persist. Uh, they they were, were people happy. Uh, I, I believe that for the most part, people were allowed to pursue what they wanted to pursue. If they wanted to be in the arts or the sciences or whatever it was, they were allowed to pursue it. Uh, but the, it was important that they were able to still earn a living. And uh, medical, I asked about medicals, and they said that's free for everybody. There is no, and they're very interested in quantitatively treating disease, you know, on a whole. No, nobody had to worry. If they had a disease, then they would be treated and they would be cared for. There was no, it was never a situation where, uh, they lost their life savings and are now living on the street. No. Great. So, so how do we sign up? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's good. And and uh, and Marcia and I were both offered uh, citizenship on that planet. And uh, you know, like they they were very kind to us. And uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that I won't go back at some point. Uh, I would tell you that uh, if you read uh, my second book, you'd find out that I have a spacecraft, and they gave me one. IRS wants me to pay taxes on it, and the FAA wants to inspect (laughs) it. And and all I can say is it's on loan, and I have some paperwork to support that, and and it. And it sits in a hangar someplace safe. And not too long ago, this, this one guy, he, he 
contacts me and he wants me to consult on building a spacecraft. And so I said, well, sure, I'll consult with you. And so we started talking about it. And, and I said, I, I don't think that you have enough money to really interest me in the project. And I don't know that any amount of money would, but I just told him, I says, I have one. It's not a big deal. Uh, and I don't think that I'm the only one that has uh, a spacecraft they can put their hands on. I think there are, there are other people on this planet that have the ability to go to a hangar someplace and get in it and leave. So, uh, did, wow. I'd like to I like guess the big, question, the big question, you know, for, for, for me, what really stood out from what we talked before is the thought that uh, Yahweh would be willing to assist the people of Earth uh, in this time of their difficulty. Is that the message you got? I think that... It's a little bit more hands-off than that. I think that uh, the tall whites are in indisputed control. And no one dares violate that. I mean, that is the law of the planet. Obama is scared to death to even say one word about the tall whites and Creech Air Force Base which is where their spaceport is. I mean, he won't go there. And I mean, they've, they've caught him talking off microphone, he thought, uh, to Vladimir Putin. And he says, oh, I can't talk about that. That's what he says. He can't. Because they tell him, you know, like, you cannot. But I tell it like it is. Uh, the tall whites at Creech Air Force Base have a spaceport there, and they've been there for a long time. And Creech Air Force Base, by the way, is the most heavily defended military base on this planet. The biggest drones that the United States have uh, are in perpetual patrol around and over that base. And they have the capability to shoot down anything that gets close. So, I mean, uh, it is if you drive one hour north on 95 from Las Vegas, on the right side of the road is Creech Air Force Base. On the other side is Indian Springs. You can get off the Indian Springs turnoff, pull into the Chevron station, get a tank of gas, and sit there for a few minutes, and you'll watch the biggest drones, the Predator drones, take off. Uh, around 10 a.m. in the morning as they land and take off again after they get maintenance. And it's amazing. But you will see uh, a two-layer uh, chain-link fence, 10 feet tall, concertina wire, and then uh, cameras everywhere. And then there's this road that goes east. And that road goes right out to uh, Tall White Central, the spaceport. 
all white That's what it is. John, we're running out of time. We have about a minute left. Uh, what would you like to tell our listeners about how they can get, we'll have to have you back, but how can they get in touch with you about your books? Well, we have like one minute. Um, my email is ltcjohntiter at gmail.com. Uh, then if, if you want to read my white papers, go to 177th Time Travel Division on Facebook. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. Aloha. Love and blessings. See you on Sunday. Thank you for having me. Thank it's you for pleasure. coming, Doug. Love uh, rapping with you. All right. Aloha, blessings. Aloha and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. Listen to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. We'll be right back after this message. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free, but there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. <laughs>